And let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time, and I ask that we would make the most use of it as we come together to feed on your word and even to feed on you the bread from heaven. I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, and as you're turning there, just a few matters of housekeeping uh, for your benefit. Um, we have the ballots for the deacon nomination in the rows themselves. If you're short on those, there are a few back by the soundboard at the conclusion of the service. Please fill those out and drop them into the offering basket or hand them to one of the leadership team at the conclusion of the service. And then also for uh, those of you who like note-taking, especially the younger of those among us, there is a, uh, I guess what I would call an outline that matches the sermon with blanks to fill in with specific words. And this is to help everyone stay engaged and uh, to understand what each of these messages are really about. So with that, with that said, let us go to Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 15. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So if you're following along with the notes, the title for this sermon is A Better Priest, A Better Hope, and A Better Covenant. A Better Priest, A Better Hope, and A Better Covenant. The verses are Hebrews 7, 15 through 22. So, all of these phrases, better priest, better hope, better covenant, occur in this text. And we covered the majority of these verses last week when we talked about the 14 different things or treasures, bags of treasures, that we needed to gather up in our arms and go into the heart, our homes in our hearts and unpack. And so we're trying to do that with a few of them. And unpack these bags of treasures about Christ being our new high priest into our hearts. So he says in verse 15, this becomes even more evident. So that refers to a lot of what we talked about last week. And it's basically this, the fact that God established a new priesthood in Jesus and set aside the former priesthood. That's what we talked about last week, that God established a new priesthood in Jesus and set aside a former priesthood. 
So as a reminder, this is just a reminder to remember all that we talked about in Genesis 14 with Abraham meeting Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessing Abraham who was to receive the promises and then all that David reflected on on that passage in Genesis uh, in Psalm 110 saying that God has designated this coming one as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we're discussing a lot of terms here that may be flying over most of your heads. And you might be asking this question, why do I need a priest at all? Why do I need a priest at all? We don't have we we didn't have so much time last week to discuss this. We've talked about it in the past, but here's the main reason why you need a priest, because God is holy and infinite. God is holy and infinite, and we are not. Okay, that's why we need a priest. We need someone to go between us and God because he is holy and infinite and incomprehensible and we are not and we're limited. So a problem immediately arises if you're if you're thinking along these lines. Okay, God is infinite and holy and I'm not. So is it going to be this way forever? Is it always going to be the case that someone needs to go between me and God? Keep that problem in mind. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up at the end and answer it. But further than that, so we've established why you need a priest. You you need a go-between between you. Every priest is appointed from among men to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That's why we need a priest. So here's the second question. Why do we need another priest? Okay, you've established that we need a priest, but why do we need another one? Was there something wrong? Like why why is there another priest? Why do we need another priest? First, Because the old priesthood could not make us perfect. And you may say, but I don't have to be perfect. No one's perfect, right? We all sin. Why do I need to be perfect? This is exactly what Jesus says. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So not a human version of perfection, even perfection like God. You must be perfect. And the old priesthood could not make us perfect. But also this idea of perfection is that we need to be brought to our final destiny. This is the reason you were created is to know God. You're made in God's image so that you can have him and know him and worship him forever. That's your destiny. That's why you were created. And the old priesthood could not bring you there. The old covenant could not do this because it was never meant to. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. The second reason you need another priesthood is that the old priesthood could not bring you near The old priesthood could not bring us near. I've talked about this multiple times, but it bears repeating. Only Aaron and his sons could serve as priests. And only the sons of Levi could serve as priests in any way. And if you're not of the tribe of Levi, if you're not of the sons of Aaron, you're not supposed to come near. It was lethal to draw near to God's presence too closely if you are not of those tribes or of that family. You might ask, well, so deadly, so pure and holy, and it was only reserved in the old priesthood for a certain family and a certain tribe, then why would I want to draw near? 
If the old covenant needs replacing because it can't draw me near, then why should I even want to draw near? And this is an amazing test to see whether or not you're in Christ. If you have the Spirit at work in you, do you want to draw near? Verse we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 3, 8. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's your destiny as a Christian. You are being brought near and the spirit himself as he works to transform you, to make you a suitable vessel, a suitable and pure priest to serve God, that you that that's the desire of your heart, that when Christ is working in you and you've been born again, you want to draw near, you want to approach the unapproachable, you want to go into the unapproachable light, you want to see the face of God, you want to be near and the old priesthood couldn't make you draw near, couldn't help you draw near. Third, why do we need another priest? Why do we need a whole another priesthood? Because the old priesthood was never meant to last forever. The old priesthood was never meant to last forever. This is at least part of what made Jesus so offensive to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers in Israel at that time. They sensed that what they were doing and all the power that they had and the control they had over the people in the temple and in the synagogues was beginning to go away. If there's a new priesthood, there's no longer a need for them. And this is what Jesus says to the woman at the well. If you remember the story, she brings up the debate between, well, we Samaritans worship up here on this mountain, but you say we have to worship down in Jerusalem. And he says, I tell you. An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers of God will not worship on this mountain or that mountain or anywhere. The, the true worshipers of God will worship God in spirit and in truth. And the Lord is seeking such people to worship him. It was never meant to last forever. It was never meant to be forever just to Jerusalem or just Levi and Aaron and his sons. It was meant to be temporary. So. An important question we should ask is, well, if, if the old priesthood had all these problems, all these issues, all these limitations, did God mess up with the first or the old priesthood? Absolutely not. God did not mess up with the old priesthood, the old way. But rather, you are made righteous in Christ, your great high priest. It's a new way, a new way of approaching God. So now we get to verse 16. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you know by now, hopefully, 
that we should look for a new priest, specifically one like Melchizedek. But how will we know when we see him? God embedded in the old covenant and embedded in Genesis an expectation that one would come like Melchizedek. We know that for certain from Psalm 110, that someone is going to come in the likeness of Melchizedek who is going to be both the son of David to rule forever on the throne of his father and serve as priest forever. So there's an expectation for that. So how will we know it's him? Here's an example. When I was growing up, I, I, I'm one of eight, okay? So a big family. So my parents gave us this, uh, this code word. Like if anything were to happen to them, if they, they went off on an anniversary trip or something and something happened to them, they were going to give a code word to someone so if they came to get us, we would know it's really from mom and dad, right? So it's a special word. I'm not going to tell you. You're not in the family. So it's a special word just for us to know if it's from mom and dad, right? So if someone comes, oh, hey, your mom and dad are in the hospital, come with us, they would have this word and we would know it's safe to follow them, right? Good idea, parents, right? Um, and I still remember that word to this day. And I texted my brothers, hey, it came back to mind. I said, y'all remember? And they all responded, yep, here, here it is. We all know that word. So what did God give us to know when this one comes like Melchizedek? How will we know? By this, an indestructible life. Okay, I mentioned this last week, but I want you to see the treasure that this is. Let's ask it another way. How can we be sure that Jesus is the new priest? How can we be sure that he is the one? Jesus of Nazareth. How can we be sure that he, he's not just another prophet or another uh, holy man? He's not just like John the Baptist, someone to come and minister to the people of God. How can we be sure that he is the new high priest? How can we be sure that Jesus is the new high priest? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. The fact that he overcomes death saying the things that he said means that we have to change the conversation about him. His resurrection proves the change in the priesthood has happened because it demonstrates his life is indestructible. There had to be one. God had promised that one would come who would rule forever as the son of David on the throne of his father, and that there would be one who would come to be a priest forever. So the only one who can do that is one who has indestructible life. And that's Jesus. The fact that he walks out of the tomb alive, triumphant over death. That means that all heaven and earth take notice and say, this is the one. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. Only Jesus can be this high priest forever because he has defeated death forever. So Lazarus comes back from the dead, right? But he dies again, right? All the people who are raised from the dead in the New Testament and Old Testament, they're brought back to life by the power of God, and then they die again. Jesus, having once died, never dies again. He was taken into heaven and rules from heaven. Amen. And so we know that he is this one. He is the son of David, his to rule forever, and he is the new priest. From the heights of the throne of heaven to the very depths of the lake of fire, the resurrection changes everything. Everything. So that, that's an important question for yourself. Does the resurrection change anything about how I live? Does the resurrection change 
anything about how I live. If, if, if someone were to look at my life, would they be able to detect, here's how this person is living because Jesus is alive? Or is it just a nice story we all talk about and on Easter it's important to us and we just go about our lives? Does it, does it rattle the very foundations of your life that Jesus walked out of the tomb triumphant over death? Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. If the priesthood changes here, here's what he's trying to say here and not trying to say here's what we should understand from this because we should immediately recognize how he's saying it as the best way. If the priesthood changes, you can't just amend the law. If the priesthood changes, you can't just simply add something to it. You need a new law. The law needs to be reborn, so to speak. Here's an example. So last year we moved to Idaho, right? Surprise, surprise, right? We're here. Um, so there are a lot of things that have to change whenever you move. And many of these only become apparent when you move across state lines. You have to obviously change your address. You have to change your utilities. You've got to get a new driver's license. You've got to register to vote, right? And there, there are dozens of other things that you've got to do differently and change because you've moved. And someone might ask, well, can't you just change your address? Well, you could, but your life's going to be miserable because the government's going to come after you and other people are going to come after you and all your bills are going to go to the wrong place because you haven't changed it with all of the different vendors that you use. So you have to have a wholesale change. It's a big process and sometimes it takes even months to get everything sorted out after you move. Everything changes. And that's what happens when you change the priesthood. You change the priesthood, you have to change everything. That's what he's saying here. It's a whole package deal. And so he uses this word, he says, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Why do we need a better hope? Why is it that I, that you, that all of us together, why is it that we need a better hope? The old hope was not enough. Just think of the law and animal sacrifices. And how a true worshiper of God would recognize, you know what? We're coming here every year. We're bringing our best sacrifice. And we got to come back next year and the next year and the next year. We need a better hope. There, there's a built in expectation in the yearly requirements that this this has got to change. We need something else. We need something better. We need a better hope. The law, here's, here's why, to, to put that all into words, because the law by itself does not give lasting hope to sinners. The law by itself does not give lasting hope to sinners because you go to the, on the day of atonement, the, the, the priest enters and he takes the blood of the sacrificial lamb and puts it on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and we, the, the offering is acceptable because the high priest doesn't die, right? And so there's a sense of relief. Okay, God has accepted the sacrifice, but then you make your journey back to home and you break a law. 
So what? You got to get ready. You got to start ramping up again to the Day of Atonement next year. And if you don't participate in this, the sense is that the wrath of God remains against you. That sin unatoned for, undealt with, even in a limited way, invites God's wrath. So the law, the old covenant law, the old priesthood, doesn't offer lasting hope for sinners. Sin has to be dealt with. And if we want to be with God forever, which I hope you do, then sin has to be dealt with in a final and forever kind of way. We need a better hope also because we need a better law. A better hope comes because we need a better law. While there is nothing wrong with the law, do not get in your minds that the Old Covenant is bad. That the Old Testament is somehow flawed. It's not at all. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is clean. All of it is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is that it deals primarily with guilt and sin and sacrifice. And also, it's not suitable for heaven. Think about this. Jesus says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that when they reach judgment day, that Jesus himself will not accuse him. Rather, Moses will accuse them. If you put your hope in the old covenant and keeping of rules, God doesn't even have to judge you. Moses himself is going to judge you. And you will be found wanting. Moses and his law is perfect, and for that reason it offers no lasting hope because it requires perfection. And you and I are lawbreakers. We need a new law, one that we can hope to keep, and one that is suitable for heaven. Also, we need a better hope because the old hope or the old one cannot make us perfect. We've already discussed this. The old hope is essentially a holding pattern or a guardian as it's referred to in the New Testament. The law came to kind of keep things in order in a sense before the final hope, the promise of Jesus is to come. We also need a better hope because we have a new priest. We've moved. We need everything changed because of Jesus. And this, is, this might be all you know right now. Okay, Jesus is my great high priest. He's the one through whom I relate to God. And he ministers to me. He brings God's blessing to me. And he relates to God on my behalf. He is my intercessor. Maybe that's all you know. Because that's the case, and he's not one of Aaron's sons or one of the sons of Levi, then you need a new hope. You need a better law. It's no longer the pattern of sin, repent, sacrifice, do better. Sin, repent, sacrifice, do better, rinse and repeat. It's something else. You've been made righteous through the sacrifice of your great high priest. Now get this. You really need to get this. If you get nothing else, this is the thing you really need to, to let sink into your heart. God is not impressed nor does he need your good works. And he doesn't need you to be a good person. In the new covenant, God does not relate to you on the basis of your works. He relates to you on the basis of Christ's righteousness. 
He doesn't need you to be a good person. The invitation to holiness, the call to holiness, even the expectation of holiness is more the idea of be who you've been made to be. Live consistent with this calling. Live consistent with the fact that you've been made a child of God. But he relates to you on the basis of Christ's righteousness. He does not deal with us according to our sins. If the Lord were to count transgressions, who could stand? Holy living then is the proof that this change has taken place. And finally, we need a better hope because those who are saved want to draw near. We need a better hope because the old hope didn't let us draw near and those who are saved really want to draw near. If you're in Christ, this is your great hope. This should be, you, you may not be able to define it, you may not even know what words to use to describe it, but if you're really in Christ, there should be, even as a child, this desire to be with your father, to draw near to your older brother, to know him, to see his glory, that I want God, one thing I ask and that I would seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to gaze upon his glory and to inquire in his temple. That's the heart of a believer. If you've experienced the new birth, you want to draw near. You want to be close. You want to see it. And that's what Jesus prays for you. I desire that those who are with me, that you've given to me, would be with me to see my glory. So if you're in Christ, you want more of him. You want to draw near. But in the old covenant, you can't really. You can see it from afar. The promise that one day that these shadows would be removed and you'll have the reality, but you can't draw near really. So just as a question for yourself, as a, as a gut check, do I really want to draw near? Do I really want to draw near to God now and every day? It's verse 20. We've, we've kind of slowed down and tried to smell some of the roses as we, we've covered these verses that we've covered last week. Now we get to verses that we haven't covered. And no, that wasn't all introduction. That, that's part of the point here that we've been going through. Verse 20. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor. It's an important word. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The, the point he's making here is superiority. Okay? Just have that in your mind. He's, he's not saying necessarily that the old covenant was all bad and terrible. God didn't make a mistake with the first covenant, with the first priesthood, with the first hope that we're given. But it's better. What we have in Christ is better. So, so he's reminding to his hearers, the author here is reminding how great and glorious even all of that was in Moses and the promises given there. It was great and it was glorious and it was and we trembled before the presence of God and we saw his glory from afar. But what we have in Jesus is even so much more greater than even that. 
And this is how he contrasts it. The first one was made without an oath, but Jesus was made priest forever with an oath. It was merely a command, a law that was given that established the priesthood of Aaron and the sons of Levi. Now, let me just say this. We, we've, we've used it as a part of the title, Better Covenant. This is the first time in the book of Hebrews that he uses this word, covenant. It's such an important word. And parents, if you want to just emphasize when you talk about this message or encourage your kids throughout the day or really you know, throughout the rest of your bringing them up, they really need to understand the idea of covenant. We all do. It is so important to understand our relationship to God. Hebrews uses this word covenant more than any other book in the New Testament and more than most of the books in the Old Testament. This concept is very important. Covenant. So what is a covenant? What is a covenant? It is the strongest kind of promise. A covenant is the strongest kind of promise. So how does God use a covenant? God makes covenants to create and to define the relationship between between himself and his people. God makes covenants to create and define the relationship between himself and people. Now, we understand relationship status, hopefully, right? All social media profiles mostly have a way for you to say what your relationship status is, right? In a relationship with, engaged to, married to, right? So we have, we have all of these levels of relationship status because we as people, we need to define it. We need to know how it is that we relate to each other. And let me say this, everything in the world has rules about how they relate to each other. There are laws of physics, laws of chemistry, laws of math, and they define how everything in this world relates to one another. Everything from atoms to subatomic particles to stars and planets, everything has rules for how they relate to each other. And God designed the world this way so that we would know that there are rules, there is a defining work that God does to create the relationship between us and him. It's not just like, oh, he's God and we're people, the end. He makes promises, he creates rules, he creates definitions for what our relationship with him is. So that's what a covenant is, is a promise. And by these promises, God creates and defines his relationship with people. So again, we're at the same spot. Why do we need a better covenant? Okay, we understand what a covenant is, and God makes these promises, and he's been making promises. God is a promise-making God. You can just rewind and then fast-forward back through all the story of redemptive history. God makes promises all the time. He creates covenants. So why do we need a better covenant? First, the old covenant did not fix the main problem. The old covenant did not fix the main problem. The new and better covenant does. The problem is not with the old covenant itself. 
Okay? The problem is sin. And the Old Covenant, when it meets our sin, only makes matters worse. The Old Covenant, when it meets our sin, only makes matters worse. This is how Paul says it in Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase the trespass. And he says in another place, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The law has the effect to arouse sin in a sinner's heart. The only place you need to go to see this as proven for all humanity is the nursery. You tell a kid, especially a small kid, don't do that. There arises even immediately a desire, that's the thing I want to do. Don't go there, don't look here, don't touch that, don't take that, don't eat that, and immediately, that's what I want to do. So the commandment is perfect, the law is perfect, the old covenant is perfect, but when all of that collides with our sinful heart, it arouses, awakens, and brings sin alive, and we die. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hopefully that helps you put it all together. Really, your whole Bibles make, help you make sense of all of it. Second reason we need a better covenant is that the old covenant depended, at least in part, on the faithfulness of men. The old covenant depended, at least in part, on the faithfulness of men. But the new covenant depends only on the faithfulness of Jesus. The new covenant depends only on the faithfulness of Jesus. The coming of the new covenant in the person of Jesus, should forever and always make you understand this. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be good enough. You can't be good enough. The fact that the new covenant comes proves it. So God provides a way to save us. He makes promises with us to save us and to bring us to himself that do not depend on our faithfulness. You can't be good enough. Your good track record cannot and will not help you stand before the Lord. You, you never could be. And no normal human is good enough to be your high priest. Because none of them are good enough and they all die. Third reason we need a new covenant. The old covenant needed to be kept in place every year. The old covenant needed to be kept in place every year. We've mentioned that before with the Day of Atonement. But the new covenant is made once for all time. Consider the strength of this one act of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Forever, once for all time, his 
service to you as your great high priest, dying on the cross and coming back to life to minister forever, that one act of righteousness isolated in time, 1,000 trillion years from now, it will only increase in its significance and glory and your ability to understand and appreciate it once for all time, kept in place by the work of Jesus. And so when Jesus is at the upper room with his disciples and he says, I have greatly desired, I have earnestly desired to take this cup, this meal with you. And he gives his disciples bread and wine. If you were paying attention to Genesis 14 last week when we read the account, do you remember what Melchizedek brought to Abraham? He brings bread and wine. So our new priest, our new great high priest, brings these images of this lasting eternal covenant that we celebrate even in the Lord's Supper, that this is once and for all time. So how do we apply this? What's the application of these truths? First, in light of the season that it is, let me say this. Christmas then is really about the arrival of your great high priest. Christmas is about the arrival of your new great high priest. This might sound shocking or jarring to you, but it's really true. And I'm very passionate about this. There's really no point in celebrating Christmas if Christ is not your king. And if you're not repenting. It's a violation of what that event was about to celebrate Christmas and to not submit to Christ as king and be repenting. It's almost an insult to him that you would celebrate his arrival and not do that. It would mean nothing to you. The verse in your bulletins is the reason the son of man, the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. To destroy the works of darkness in your life and in mine. And if you're not doing that, if that doesn't characterize your life, then don't celebrate Christmas, please. It would be of no benefit to you and might be even a detractor on the day of judgment that you would outwardly say, yes, hooray, Jesus has come to save humanity and then still harbor darkness in your heart that he came to destroy. And I'm no Grinch, I promise. But all of the lights and the decorations, which I love, and the Christmas songs, I'm listening to albums on repeat now. But those can be part of the problem if you don't repent and enter this covenant through faith. They can distract what this is really about. Your new great high priest has come and he has invited you into this new covenant, the better covenant, the better hope. So do that. Christmas really is about the arrival of your great high priest. Second, know your God through this new covenant. Know your God through this new covenant. So going back to the problem that was raised at the beginning, will we always need someone as a go-between between us and the glory of the Lord? Is it always going to be that we kind of stand afar off and there's someone in between? It's a yes and it's a no. Because Jesus always serves as your great high priest, but he is your perfect high priest And there's no loss of knowledge of God because he is God himself. 
He's not junior varsity deity. He is God, very God from very God. And because Jesus is your great high priest, you have all the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. You must know your God through your great high priest in this new covenant. That's the treasure of Jesus. It's not just the person who came to just die on a cross so that sin would be removed so that we can go to heaven and He died on a cross and took away sin so that he would always be your priest. And he would always serve as a go-between between you and the glory of the majesty on high. And when we arrive, we will see him on the throne. Father, uh, Jesus, Master, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Have you been with me so long and do not yet know if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is why Jesus is the only way to the Father, because he is the only priest. This is why salvation can be found in no one else. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other priest. There is no other way. There is no other covenant. It's only Christ. And that's the gospel. The invitation is to trust him and that his sacrifice is what qualifies you and brings you into a proper relationship with him. So repenting of sins and believing in Jesus isn't like a, just a, a beginning ritual so that you can enter heaven. It's you entering into the proper relationship with God through the new covenant in Christ so that you are now hidden in Christ and your life is with him forever before the throne of God. That's the gospel. And just to all those in here who may not trust in Christ. This is totally unique. No other system has this in place that God would humble himself, take on flesh so that he could be this great high priest and sanctify you and purify you and offer himself as the sacrifice for sins so that you would draw near in him. This is the gospel. Believing in him, trusting in him is basically saying where he goes, I will go. And to Christians, this is under the heading of knowing your God through this new covenant. Please don't speak of God in a Christless way. Just please don't. It makes me nervous. We talk about God. God is a title. It's not his name. His name is Yahweh, the I am. And the way the I am, the Lord, has made himself known is in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no true devotion to God that is not through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no real knowledge of God that is not through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no love of God that is not through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no experience of the Holy Spirit that is not through the person of Jesus Christ. Speak of God in a Christ-centered way. He has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at his right hand, he has made him known. Also, live in line with the new covenant. This has so many implications. Living in line with the new covenant. For parents, 
The law brings wrath and the law awakens sin. But mercy and grace comes through Jesus. You can still insist on obedience, but there is a way to discipline and to communicate the gospel to your children and the grace available in Jesus. That's the difference, I think, between discipleship or discipline and punishment. To spouses, especially around this season, there's always an opportunity for stress to take over the married relationship because of all the expectations and things going on. And we can begin to relate in our spouses in a give and take kind of way. Here's what I offer. Here's what you offer. And if I don't get in return what I think I'm owed because of how much I sacrifice, then I'm not satisfied in this relationship. Rather, we should be like Jesus, who initiates this new covenant on the basis of grace. And giving us what we don't deserve and making promises that are not based on our performance. God relates to us not on the basis of how well we perform on how well we execute on the new covenant. God relates to us on the basis of Christ and his righteousness. And finally, bring others into this new covenant. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not on the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The world feels and and, and thinks and, and, and wonders about the need for something real. They want something real. There's a sense in which every person in the world senses their emptiness. C.S. Lewis called it a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. Everyone senses the need for that. So please give them a real Christ. Not just more laws, not about being just a better person. Give them Christ. Show them the new covenant. Give them the better hope this season. Find a way to bring it up and say something to someone about this hope you have. If it really is a better hope, if it really does change your life, then say something to someone this season about him. We give you resources. There's books in my office. Just take them. There's the Advent guides and books. Just resource yourself. Ask for help. There's tons of resources online. Find a way to tell someone something about this new hope that you have in Christ. Don't leave Christ in the manger. And don't leave him in the temple. And don't leave him on the cross. Don't leave him in the tomb. And I would even say, don't even leave him in heaven. Your Christ is returning to rule one day not so far from now. And he is here, even in our midst. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for all that you've done in Christ and in bringing us into this new covenant, giving us a better hope, giving us a better priest in your son, Jesus. And I pray that we would be changed by his work and by his ministry to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.